This is Great Dane Nation, presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Freeze Pops. Tommy, what's going on this week? Morton, thanks as always for having me, and this week, we have the NBA playoffs on deck, so we're going to be joined by Atlanta Hawks legend Dominique Wilkins. He's going to talk about his amazing career in basketball. Then I'll be joined by Kevin Rogers of Vegas Insider to preview some of the intriguing first round matchups in the NBA. And we'll have a special edition of Morton's Game Winner, an early Memorial Day tribute from the Great Dane himself. So we've got a lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But Morton, before we get into your conversation with Neek, I wanted to talk some football. That's what we do, right? Oh, yeah. Before last week's episode dropped, the NFL released its schedule for the 2021 season, and a few of these matchups immediately caught my eye. Let's jump into one we all have circled on our calendars, Tampa Bay at New England. Tom Brady makes his first and maybe only return to Foxborough to take on Belichick and the Pats. The cheapest ticket you can get at this moment is over $1,000, and that number continues to climb every single day. Morton, you've had the return game in your career on numerous occasions. What's that going to be like for Brady? Oh, it's going to be a beautiful homecoming for Brady. He's Super Bowl champ. His hands are above the head. I mean, there's no shame in his game. He's got seven trophies. And, you know, whoever came out on the short end of the stick, I think we all know that that's the Pats. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got worse and Tampa got better. And there's one reason for that. It's the GOAT, right? Everybody talks about Tom Brady being the GOAT. And he he is. He's proven it. So that'll be a fun game to watch. Belichick will do everything. I mean, they know each other very well. You know, Brady was there for 20 years. So it'll be interesting to see what New England tries to do defensively to sort of get in Brady's head if there's even such a thing. I, I don't even know if that there – I don't think – Anyone in this universe can roam freely inside of Tom Brady's head, uh, Freeze Pops. Would you agree with that? Well, we don't know if Bill Belichick is able to do that with Brady yet, right? He's never had to scheme against him in his entire career. Maybe Belichick has the secrets that all of the people in the NFL have been trying to find over the past 20 plus years. Belichick is the guy, maybe, that can make Brady look moral. Well, he's Mo- going to – mortal? Mo- mortal, sorry. <laughs> moral. <laughs> he's, he's immoral for leaving New England. Oh, well, it, you <laughs> no, know, it's no, going to no. take more than secrets from Belichick. It's going to actually take players and talent to beat Tampa Bay. Tampa is returning everyone on their roster from their Super Bowl year. They're confident, and they're the reigning champs. So – it's going to be a fun, fun day or night. I, can't, I don't know if it's a night game. That's going to be Sunday night football, no doubt about it. Week four, yeah. uh, Sunday night football. You'll see the NBC crew there up in Foxborough. That's going to be a crazy ratings game. The NFL has been looking forward to that one the minute Brady signed in Tampa Bay. There's no question about it. But there's another early season matchup that has quarterback storylines aplenty, and that's Green Bay 
at New Orleans week one. There's uncertainty at both sidelines here, right? Who's going to be the quarterback, right? We don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be back in Green Bay. They keep telling us Jameis is going to be the guy in New Orleans, but you know, there's rumors that Taysom Hill, he wants to be the franchise guy or he wants to be traded. I mean, who the heck knows who's going to be, you know, the gunslinger on either sideline here? I, I don't know at this point. All of that will be found out in training camp. That's going to flush itself out. And there may be a wild card still to come that we don't know about. And so, again, a great game, two great offenses, despite the fact that we don't really know who's going to be taking the snaps. Saints at home, I love that. Week one, full capacity is what Goodell I'm hearing from the league office. Wow. It feels that way right now. I mean, with all these so, mask mandates mm, lifting up and Superdome, uh, you know, full scheme ahead, it's going to be loud there, man. That's going to be a sight to see. I'm going to check the box on that, and I'm going to see if I can maybe get a flight to New Orleans, and I might have to, I might have to butter up to my good friend Gail Benson in the box there and uh, put the gold jacket on and maybe watch my Saints take care of the Packers. What do you think, Freeze? Does that sound like a plan? I think they need you on the field for like a pregame Hall of Fame ceremony here. Like right? a coin, get, coin toss or something? Yeah, get you out there. Get everyone I'll flip fired it with my foot or something. You know, a little foot flip of the coin. But I will say this, Morton. If Aaron Rodgers is gone... And it's Blake Bortles starting for Green Bay week one. Mm. Uh, Saints probably will be a lot happier with giving Jameis Winston the keys to the castle against Blake Bortles rather than his first start coming against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, Brett Favre is making it seem like Aaron Rodgers is not going to go back to Green Bay. That headline doesn't sound as good as Rogers versus Breeze for some no, reason. Doesn't have the same ring to it. Bortles versus Winston. <laughs> Bortles and Winston. That's almost like a uh, an like a law firm. <laughs> it sounds like a cheap whisk. Hello, this is Bortles and Winston. May I help you? <laughs> Definitely does not have a ring to it. But you I know, digress. I digress. Yeah, you know what game to round out week one that I am fired up to see is the Browns at Kansas City. Because look, the Browns burst on the scene last year. Uh, it was sort of dicey in the middle of the season, but they figured it out. Baker Mayfield looks like a legit quarterback. The running game is strong. Their defense is fun, but they're going to Kansas City, right? The the juggernauts of the last two, three years in the NFL. Can they have uh, a bounce back season after that really bad showing in the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl hangover seems to be a real thing that has plagued teams over the years. Are the Browns going to be for real? Can the Chiefs recover from that devastating loss in the Super Bowl? I, I just think that this could be the start of two really interesting storylines for the 2021 season and two really fun teams playing each other right away. I think the Browns are, are good. They're starting to show that they're in the upper half anyway, upper third maybe even, of teams in the NFL, but it will not start in week one against the Chiefs. I don't see that happening. Um, too much Mahomes. Home field advantage in Arrowhead. Oh, my goodness. Packed 80,000 in red. No, there's, there's no chance the Browns win in week one. It's such an advantage to open the season at home. And the Chiefs, let's face it, they were in the Super Bowl. They're right there. So, 
it'll be fun to see the Super Bowl hangover is real, but the Chiefs have been there now for a couple of years. And uh, so where's the hangover? I mean, it's the hangover, the fact that you didn't win the big game, you know, ab- after being there and winning it. That's not a hangover to me. Yeah. So I don't see I don't see, you know, a Chiefs team with their great head coach and his levity and his perspective. I just don't see that happening. And the ta- the amount of talent and speed that the Chiefs continue to possess, way too much for the Browns. And Chiefs are still one of the top, I would say, three teams in the league. So I think the Browns are, are good. They're much improved. You know, Baker Mayfield needs to stop turning the ball over. And, uh, you know, OBJ is back from injury. That's a good thing, I guess. I don't know. OBJ is like, what do you get? The flavor of the day to me. I don't know what I'm getting with him. Yeah, it's interesting because Cleveland was really good after he got hurt, right? Like once OBJ wasn't an option for Baker Mayfield, it was almost like it was a weight off of his shoulders. He didn't have to Mm. worry about getting him the ball. Uh, He felt good about just handing the ball off to those two stud running backs 40 times a game, finding Jarvis Landry when he was open and making things work. And it kind of unlocked Baker Mayfield. So it'll be interesting to see if Baker, this unlocked confident version of him is able to now weave OBJ back in. Honestly, Hot take here, and I know nothing. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets moved like wow. midseason. I mean, doesn't he scream guy that's jealous about how the team improved without him and now he wants it to be like it used to be, but it's not like it used to be anymore, man. We we gotta <laughs> do our thing, right? It's it's like the ex that yeah. wants to get back together, but you know what? We've moved on and it's time to just do a clean split here. I, I would not be shocked if that guy gets moved. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, I've never met OBJ, so I have to withhold judgment until I'm uh, eyeball to eyeball with these guys. I think that's fair. But looking in from the outside, he his body language is not really great when there's wind in the face, if you know what I mean. Wind at the back, oh yeah, no issues, everything's great. Look at me, look at me. A uh, little bit of wind in the face, you know, eh. Yeah, it doesn't handle it well. But you've been on a team that lost in the Super Bowl and come back that next season. Why do you think the Chiefs are in a better position than, say, we your, were with the Falcons. your Falcons team? Yeah. Well, we had never been to the Super Bowl. And so once we went there, I, I truly believe our NFC championship game was our Super Bowl. That's where we left everything out there. We, we had an unbelievable game against the Vikings. Went to overtime. We were trailing most of the game. We brought everything. We played our best game of the year, and then we had to go play our best game of the year again two weeks later. We just didn't have anything in the tank the way I saw it. There were other things off the field that happened. There was a distraction. Uh, we don't need to go into all that again, but uh, there, there were some shenanigans in Miami Beach that caused guys to lose sleep, etc. So I think the, the reason I say that the Chiefs will be different is they've been there now for a couple of years. They've they've been to championship games, they've been to Super Bowls, they've won one. And so that brings with it a ton of street credibility, a ton of uh, experience that we as a team collectively just didn't have. And what happened after our Super Bowl years, uh, everybody left and it was a new team the next year. I think we went seven and nine, maybe. 
it was nothing special. It was very much like the New York football giants when they got beat by the Baltimore Ravens in 2000. I joined that team in 2001 and we were seven and nine. So that that's our Falcons and that New York team. That's That's the comparison I would make. The Chiefs is a different football team with different talent, different speed. I'm not saying we didn't have a ton of talent. We did. But they've been there now three, four years in meaningful games late in the season, late in the playoffs. And that's the difference. I'm excited for football. I wish we could just get in a time machine and blast forward and it be, you know, a football Sunday here. Just throw on red zone and get excited. But until then... We have basketball, right? We got the NBA playoffs here. So who better than Dominique Wilkins to get us in the mood for some NBA playoffs? Let's get to that conversation with Neek. The human highlight reel. Let's kick it. My guest today was one of the most ferocious dunkers in the history of the NBA. The human highlight reel, just an amazing basketball player who dominated when he played. And it's a pleasure to have Dominique Wilkins on my show, The Great Dane Nation. Nick, how you doing, buddy? And thanks for joining me. Good, man. Thanks for having me, man. How you doing? I'm great, man. Hey, you were born in Paris, France. Do you speak French? Oui. That's about all. Yeah, that's about all good. I can give you. That's good. You were your dad was uh, military, so you were only there for a short time, and then came back stateside. Right. You know, my dad was in in the army, and uh, we he, we lived in Frankfurt, Germany, for a while before I moved back to the states. But I was born in Sobourne, France, right outside of Paris. Oh, got you. Yeah. So I'm. I, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark. So I came over in 1977 as an exchange student. So I'm actually an immigrant from Europe who came over. Uh, you know, 40 some years ago. You, yeah, you know, you're telling your age now, right? Yeah. Well, I'm. <laughs> Nick, I'm 60. I don't. I don't know if I got you beat or not, but I'm. I'm 60. I think. I, I think you might have me beat you know by what? a you couple know, of months. I, I got you by a year. You, you're I'm 61. 61. You look, you look at you look good for six one. I'm talking about I'm talking about your age, and I'm older than you. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Nick. When you when you were younger, man, you you went to Georgia and you were bulldog. You got drafted by Utah. Didn't want to go there. What was the reason you didn't want to go to Utah? Oh, you know, at the time, Utah wanted me to basically come in and play power forward. And I'm like, you out of your mind. I'm not playing power forward. You know, because back in those days, power forward position had a license to kick your butt. And, you know, I'm 210 soaking wet. You know, I'm not going to play. And them guys are 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", playing the four spot. So I'm like, hey, you trade me now because I'm not coming. You know, yeah. and so I was traded, I think, maybe a week later. I, I never went to Utah. never experienced it. A couple of draft choices, a million bucks, and you were with the Hawks. Actually, you know, they traded two seasoned veteran players and a million bucks to get me to Atlanta. So Atlanta gave up. They gave up quite a bit to get me. And uh, it worked out for both sides, I thought. Looking back on your career and, and your life, was there a time when you were shorter? Obviously, <laughs> that was the time. I know that. But you were six nine when you play. You're six nine. Did you have a growth spurt when then you realized, OK, I could be a dominating player at this at this position? You know what? Uh, when I was in high school, my first year of high school, I was 6'3", and I had an eight-and-a-half growth spurt in one year. 
So I went from six three to six eight and a half in one year in, in high school, and I grew another half an inch once I left high school. So it, it, it was kind of weird, man. So I, I knew that I could be a very special player early on in my life when I was in high school. And my high school team ended up going 76 and one in three years in the state of North Carolina, wow. which was impossible in the oh. state during that time. You know, I came out, you know, with guys like Worthy and Mitchell Wiggins and all these guys who, Michael Joe, all those guys that went to school in North Carolina. Yes. And we were just, we couldn't be beat. We just couldn't be beat. In high school, was there a player you said, man, I want to emulate that guy. I want to be like him. Uh, somebody in the NBA, maybe college level, yeah, where you said, this guy could influence me. This guy is doing it the right way. You know what? Ever since I've been able to enjoy and understand basketball, it was one guy I wanted to be like growing up, and that was Dr. J. Uh -huh. I emulated everything he did. I wanted to be the next doctor. Everybody did because he was a superstar back then. He was a rock star. And so everybody wanted to be the doctor. Did you meet Doc several times? I I did. I met Doc. My first year playing as Doc, I'm in awe. I'm as a kid in a candy store. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, I grew up wanting to be like you. Everything I, you know, you did, I emulate everything you did. And I wanted to be, he said, wait, wait, hold up. He says, there's only one Dr. J, there's only one Dominique Wilkins. But since they started calling you next Dr. J, you might as well start learning. And I remember he scored probably like 30 something that game. And I wasn't upset. I said, that's the doctor, you know, but it was just amazing for me to emulate a person. And now you're getting a chance to play against that guy that you grew up wanting to be like. He was Dr. J, but you were the human highlight reel. Who gave you that nickname? Believe it or not, that nickname I got when I was in high school, 11th grade. I was at a camp in Homesdale, Pennsylvania, five-star camp, which was a world-renowned camp at that time. And it was a guy named Howard Garfinkel who gave me the name because I scored 41 in the all-star game at the end of the week and they didn't wow. understand how I was scoring. And so to make a long story short, they say, you know what, we're going to start calling the human highlight film. And I hated the name, but as I got older, I like, wait a minute, I might make a little money off this name. you know. <laughs> so it kind of stuck, but uh, yeah, Howard Garfinkel gave me that name when I was in 11th grade. Yeah. And, and you develop into a dominating dunker. And I love talk. I loved Everybody loves dunks, you know, and I, I, you were when I think of dunks, I think of you. I really do. I love the all-star games. I love the dunk contest. You were part of that. You won it. There was mm -hmm. also another time when you kind of got robbed in Chicago, right? There was some home cooking yeah. going on, brother. What's yeah, it made me a little home cooking. But, you know, this is the thing I tell people. No matter who won, the fans got their money's worth. Oh. They got their money's worth because you had two star players who wanted to know who the best was. And I yeah. think a lot of guys today don't want to know who the best is. I don't know if Gail Sayers, who was a running back with the uh, Chicago Bears, I don't know how he became a judge. And Tony Hawkins, who was a Chicago native, you know, there might have been a little something finagling going on there. And giving you a 45 in one round and then so Michael can get a perfect 50? Well, you know, it, 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 it happens from time to you're, time. You're, you know? being <laughs> diplomat, you're being a diplomat. You're being a diplomat. Yeah, from time to time. Do I, do I think I won? Oh, yeah, of course. Did he think he won? Yeah, of course. But, yeah. you know, it's set up on the greatest dunk contest ever. What kind of mindset do you got? Would you have to? Because once you get down to it with the head-to-head, -head, one thing is to the preliminary rounds, but then you get down to it and, and it's head-to-head -head at the end there. You obviously well, practice There's a couple the things. Is, I, I never practiced my dunks. No? Never. Never. Not once. Never. Not. It was all stuff I was doing in the games. And uh -huh. so the thing I wanted to do is be as creative as possible and dunk with power and grace and finesse at times, and just making sure that they were chasing me instead of me chasing them. 
Did you have a go-to dunk? One that's going to, this one's going to wow. You know, yeah. I mean, I had a a couple. I had the windmill, which was a dunk that nobody was doing. You know, the one I threw off the glass and, you Mm. know, which people don't understand how difficult that is. When you throw it off the glass and your timing got to be right and and you go that high to catch it and finish it. It's difficult, but that's something I knew I could do. I could execute and I wouldn't miss. Yeah, the off the glass, you gotta hit you gotta get the ball at the apex, in other words, at the zenith at the highest point of the ball, right? Because mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. you start coming down the ball, you know, that can look you can look real silly if that timing's not correct. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can lose the ball or you can miss time your jump. So everything, but again, it was a dunk I never even thought about doing before. Thought yeah. of it in a dunk contest. Who's the best dunker today in your in your opinion? It's probably several, but I'm gonna still say guys, as far as Great dunkers, it would be Levine and Gordon. Oh, yeah, Levine, man. Yeah, Levine and Gordon. I mean, just so graceful with it as well. Uh, have you been a judge? Uh, actually, I judged this year. I've been a judge many times, so, you know, I'm for many years. So, what do you, so uh, what do you look, what do you look for? Showmanship, style, power. Those are the three, those are the three things. Combination of those three together. Yeah, it's a combination of those three things. Absolutely. Hey, let me play a little name game, if you don't mind. And you don't have to be long answers, but uh, I know uh-huh. you cover uh, – you and Bob uh, Rathburn covers the Hawks, of course, and I've done it for many years. Uh, you guys do a great job. And, uh, of course, their star player, Trey Young. When I say Trey Young, what do you say? Oh, where do I start? When you say Trey Young, I think young superstar. That's what I think. I mean, because not just from a scoring standpoint, his ability to see the floor – is mm-hmm. unbelievable. I mean, he's one of the best passers I've seen in a very long time. And for a guy his his size to have the range that he has on the floor, it's, it's ridiculous. A guy I went to high school with at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis was Randy Whitman. When I say Randy Whitman, what do you say? Great teammate. Great, great teammate. I played a lot of years with Randy. And actually, Randy was one of my best friends. And, um, still is to this day you know we don't get a chance to see each other a lot but you know we all have different things we do in life but he was a wonderful teammate i really enjoyed playing with randy yeah he's awesome doug rivers i mean the same you know the guys that we were more of a family you know it, it wasn't a lot of different clicks within the team we were the click so to speak because we were we were like family all of us you know we did everything together and that's what made us so close Doc Rivers, I thought he would be a great coach even when I was playing with him because he was a floor leader. But some of the best coaches I played, I think for me, Mike Fratello was the best coach I ever had. And I didn't know it until after I retired how good he was as a coach. What do you, so I learned a lot from him. What do you mean by floor leader? Well, he was a guy who gets you in position to be successful. You know, that's what prototypical point guards do. Their ability to get people in position to succeed is what makes them special. And Doc Rivers was that type of guy. You had a year with the Boston Celtics. Uh, what was your relationship with Red, Red Auerbach? I loved Red. Red was the reason why I came to Boston. There was no other reason why I went to Boston. It was all Red. You know, Red came to me when I was playing with Dream Team 2, and he said, I know you can go anywhere you want. Yeah. He said, but I want you in Boston. I'm, I, and I'm going to turn down Red Auerbach? <laughs> I mean, you know. No, that's, that's God. I said, yes, why not? Let's That's like it. turning down Belichick, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, how, how you turn them down? You can't turn down Red R back. No. You know? And uh, it was a good experience. I ended up living in Boston for five years. Greg Popovich. 
Uh, well, I was there. I was in San Antonio when he had his coaching debut because they fired Bob Hill. He got on the bus. He said, I just fired Bob Hill. I'm coaching the rest of the season. And we thought he was joking. But the bus pulled off and we said, oh, I guess he did fire him. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was his debut. I love, I love Greg Popovich. He is one hell of a coach. And, hey, he got the rings to prove it. I yeah. mean, just one. And, and a wonderful guy. You know, I got a chance to know him personally. And uh, it was a wonderful person to play for, even though we were shorthanded. Spud Webb. I mean, come on. That was fun to yeah. watch him dunk. Yeah, I mean, you know, Spud, another guy who I kind of took under my wing when he was a rookie and kind mm-hmm. of uh, kind of adopted him as a little brother, you know. So Spud mm-hmm. was another guy who was very close. Like, again, you know, so many guys on that team were so close, and Spud was kind of the little brother for all of us, but he stood up there with the Giants. He had big-time game. Speaking of a Giant, you have the, uh, the Admiral, David Robinson. David, unfortunately, when I was in San Antonio, he, he, he got hurt. And he had a back problem. And so I didn't get a chance to play with him like I wanted to. But one of the greatest centers to ever play in this game, you know, when you talk about great centers, you know, you have to mention his name. Sure. Moses Malone. The same. Same type. I mean, the guy's 6'11", and he was a man child. He was a man amongst boys. So talented, so competitive, unstoppable. Mark Jackson. Well, I played one year with Mark, with the Clippers, and it was – it was a different type of season. Mark was great. Mark was a lot of reasons why I averaged the points I averaged in L.A. Um, but it was a different atmosphere in L.A. It was strange. Strange team to play for. Help me understand how. Well, you know, playing for Donald Sterling was always a challenge. Uh, say no more. <laughs> you know, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. I'll I leave got... it at that. What about Sidney Moncrief? Listen, Sidney was a tough tough, athletic, focused, no fear type of shooting guard, man. He was, he, he was a hell of a player. You and Bob do a great job calling the games. I can't wait to get back there, uh, hopefully soon, at State Farm. Hey, how special was it, Nick? Last question for you. I'll let you go. How special was it for you to get a statue out in front of the arena in Atlanta? First of all, it's being immortalized is the yeah. first thing I think of. Mm-hmm. and that's something that no one could ever take from you. And that shows you how life comes full circle when you can have your likeness, your your statue in front of a building. That's a lifetime. That's for you're dead and gone. You know, I hate to say yeah. it that way, but, you know, it, it's something for fans, future fans to enjoy for the rest of my life and hopefully theirs too. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was lucky enough to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2017 mm-hmm. and the bronze bust that lasts 40,000 years. It's kind of cool to think about that. The And you're so right about being immortalized through a uh, yeah. a tribute like that. It's special. Yeah, and you have it right sitting behind you. That's that, right, that, a replica. Yeah, that, speaks, <laughs> that speaks to everything we just talking about. Right yeah, there, yeah. So congrats. Hey, thank you, Nick, and congrats to you. Great career, great job in broadcasting. I appreciate you spending a little time with me on Great Dane Nation. Nope. Thanks a lot, brother. All right, man, you take care. That was fun spending a few minutes with Nick. And speaking of amazing dunkers, players and dunk players, I don't know what they're called. Dunkers? Dunkers. The only dunking I do is with my donut. (laughs) 
Just saying, uh, Freeze. Are we about to do an ad read for Dunkin' Donuts right now? Oh, guys, you just said the name. I try to avoid uh, you know, brand placement, but since you went there, if people in the higher echelon of that beautiful company are listening, <laughs> uh, please open the checkbooks and let us talk to Great Day Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Dunkers, is it a uh, well? How about players who dunk really well? Would that be an accurate statement? Because he was a human highlight reel. He was, and uh, and still probably can dunk. I, I was just gonna say, do you think he can still dunk, oh, even though he's yeah. like sixty? What did he say, sixty-one in the yeah. interview? You think he can oh, still throw yeah. it down? Oh gosh, yeah. He's he's isn't he like six ten or six nine? So basically. If he just stretched his arm up, isn't he touching like almost the rim? Like yeah, all he close. has to do is stand on his tippy toes and and throw the ball down. He's probably pretty close at that point. You By the way, can you can you? When I was younger, I could actually grab the rim, you know, jump up and grab the rim and and hang on to the rim. Now I can't barely touch the net. How about you? I was just going to ask if you could dunk, so that answers my question. I could, uh, I could back in the day. Back in the day, I could not dunk. So I'm six two, but I don't have any ups. Like I can, I can swat at the net and maybe just get close enough to the rim with my hand, but I can't. You know, if I had a camera at floor level, would I see air between the floor and your feet when you jump? I can clear a phone book. Okay, like a local book or a national, like a big, uh, probably a mid-sized city. Like I could probably clear Kansas City's phone book if I tried, including Oberlin Park. <laughs> uh, now we're talking about extensions, uh, suburbs, and to get mm-hmm. close, I, I'd probably, I'd probably just tip that as I'm jumping up there. I, I, am, I have no ups, man. None. I used to have ups. I was a gymnast. I used to jump and I used oh, to do like the, the standing back, standing front somersault, which was really hard to do. You had to have explosiveness. Um, so I I used to be able to, to jump, you know, and I think one of the most frustrating things for me as I grew older was like when my as my knees got worse and I had less and less cartilage from just ripping kicks, you know, Yeah, was the fact that. I couldn't jump anymore. Like I, I didn't feel explosive. And now I see my kids, and it's like they have uh, a Gumby, like just boing, boing. Like a uh, what are those called? What is that little toy called? Like, like a slinky? Not a slinky, but the thing you stand on. Oh, a pogo stick. A pogo stick, man. <laughs> my kids are like pogo sticks, and I just I'm a statue now. You know, I can't. Uh, I walk stiff. I'm not flexible. Anyway, enough about our inability to jump. You know, I had a cool experience this past weekend with another amazing player in the NBA who just like Neek could dunk. I mean, I saw a highlight a reel of Vince Carter from the Olympics and the United States was they were playing France. Vince Carter pretty much eliminated France. He got the ball, he jumped over a French defender, split his legs and the dude's head was under Vince's body. He kind of grabbed his shoulder. He went over the guy. I mean, over the guy, not around the guy, over the guy and dunked on France. On the whole country of France, Vince Carter dunked on France. It's one of the greatest dunks of all time. I mean, Neek is known for his slam dunk competition dunks as well as his in-game dunks. But really, his his dunk contest versus Jordan. And Vince Carter has that iconic 
dunk contest from the 90s where he's got his full arm in the rim and all oh, that just like, I mean, yeah just absolutely <laughs> legendary so so you golfed with vince carter how was so they had well he he's a low handicap a, a lot lower than me i'm a 13 four right now i played with finnerin brian finnerin great dude wide receiver from the falcons was a, a great player and great receiver he's he's like an 11 five i think vince is like a seven and we were all we were playing a, a nine hole shootout like a celebrity for this disease called EB Deborah. So Deborah is a disease that about twenty five thousand kids are afflicted with, where they're born with paper thin skin and they have to be bandaged every day. It's basically like eighty five thousand dollars per kid per month, or maybe even per week. It's an an enormous amount, and insurance doesn't cover it. So they're in desperate need of funds for for bandages to help these kids so they don't, you know, imagine being born with paper thin skin, like a butterfly translucent almost, and you can't be outside, can't be exposed. And it basically would be to a normal human being, imagine having like an open sore or wound and just pour alcohol on that. That That's the pain that you're going to, you're going to feel on a daily basis. So we were so happy and, and honored to be asked to be part of this, um, you know, charity event. And we were tied going into 18. We started on 10. So we played the last, we followed the lead group on the champions tour. I just knew that my buddy, you know, my son, Sebastian followed John Daly for three holes and John Daly, he DQ'd himself. He, he basically withdrew from the tournament after nine holes because it was so hard. And he was like so far behind. So after nine holes, John Daly took a left, didn't go to 10. He went to the clubhouse and he was out of there. So greens were running 12 and a half. If you're not a golfer, 12 and a half is really fast. And um, we're tied going into 18. I hit like a high drive that doesn't go very far. Vince Carter absolutely annihilates his drive, 320 yards. So he's looking at the green. It's a par five. He's looking at the green now. So he's got a decision to make. I basically get up to where his ball is in two shots. So he's lying. He's laying one. I'm laying two. Finnerin is one stroke back, so I'm not too concerned with him. It's basically mano a mano, Vince and I. And uh, Vince goes for the green. He puts it in the water. I'm like, yes. I didn't say that loud because, you know, Vince would have been would have been pissed. He would have dunked on you. Yes, water. Yes. So he puts it in the water. So now he's got to go drop and take a penalty stroke. So I'm now he's he's hitting. He's in and two. He's out in three. He's hitting four from the drop area. I hit a little a blooper eight iron down for an approach to the green. I actually hit the grandstand, and it bounces off the grandstand and hit back in the fairway. And everybody's like, oh, and I said, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. It's like that scene in Billy Madison where the ball. I bailed. Out. I bailed right. Uh, yeah, I bailed right big time because left was water. I didn't want to go in the water. So now I have like 80 yards and I just take like a little, you know, wedge. All I got to do is get on the green in four and even two pot. And I'm thinking Vince, I don't think Vince can get on the green and he'll two pot. So he'll. I'll win by one stroke. As I'm I'm hitting my this drunk guy in the grandstand, <laughs> he's talking to somebody completely oblivious to what I'm trying to do down there. So in my backswing, he goes, <laughs> and I completely chunk my gap into the sand, like dribble it 
And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So now I got to hit five out of the sand. Oh. Vince throws a lawn dart to six feet. And he's got a par putt, six foot par putt. And now I'm thinking, if he two putts, I got to get up and down. If he one putts, I got to drain this from the sand. So I get out of the sand and I have like a, I have a 20 footer. I hit it way too hard and I'm above the hole. I mark my ball because if Vince drains, it's over anyway. So I can just pick up. And of course, there's an iconic shot. You can Google Vince Carter in this tournament. You see the ball is not in the hole yet. Vince turns around and starts walking away with his index finger up in the air. <laughs> it was so money. It was like, and I, we, we just all applauded. I mean, it was, he won the tournament, the sting of regret. I just didn't have the length he did, you know, and we were playing from the tips all the way back. Well, normally I play white tees. I would play like, so if an 18 hole course is whatever, 7,400 yards from the tips, I would probably play 6,500, you know, from the whites. So I was playing the equivalent of a golf course at 7,400 yards with a game that's suited for 6,400, 6,500. He did get a trophy, and we raised a lot of money for, uh, for Deborah. And there was actually, there were spectators there. And, you know, I, I was more nervous on, on the first tee box at this event. And I know Vince was, and I know that Brian was teeing off in front of 50 people than I was hitting a game winner in the NFC championship game. It, it was a mind blowing experience, fun experience. And I have so much more appreciation now for the professionals that can do this. It puts it in perspective that you really have to earn the right to be good at golf at any, any sport. What a blast, beautiful day, beautiful cause. I talked way too long about golf, but I love it. What can I say, man? Hey, you love the game. That's cool. And honestly, people probably didn't know that Vince Carter was a great golfer. So there you go. Vince Carter, he makes the clutch shots, man. He's worked, uh, he's really worked. He's worked on his game and you can see, and he's he's so tall and fluid, so he can he brings that lever, you know what I mean? He really can can crush the ball when he gets a hold of it. So the sport that Vince Carter is known for basketball. We're going to talk more about it right here. Let's get to that conversation with Kevin Rogers from Vegas Insider. VegasInsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information, and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. Every week, we're joined by one of our Vegas Insider experts to make us a little smarter, and this week, we welcome back Vegas Insider expert and the host of the Bet and Collect podcast, Kevin Rogers. Kevin, what's going on? Tom, good to talk to you again. Excited for the playoffs coming up this week. Heck yeah, we love the NBA playoffs here at Vegas Insider. Make sure you check out the latest from Kevin on the VegasInsider.com website. He's got podcasts, he's got picks, the man does it all. And you got to follow him on Twitter at VI Rogers. And Kevin, let's jump right into hoops. We are in the midst of the play-in tournament as we speak. So I'll leave those games alone because, you know, things are going to change by the time people probably listen to this. Let's take a look at the matchups that are set in stone for round one, starting off with my Boston Celtics taking on the favorites to win the title, the Brooklyn Nets. 
Seas had to win to guarantee their spot in this game. Nets are at minus 850 to win the series. Kevin, how do you see this thing shaking out? And is there any value to be had surrounding this series at all? Well, I wouldn't lay the 850 with Brooklyn, but it doesn't mean I like Boston either. Just because with Jalen Brown out, obviously Jason Tatum's got to carry the load now. And, you know, Kemba Walker, you know, we'll see what he can do as the second option for the Celtics. Look, I mean, it's very difficult to ask any team, especially now in the first round, to try to slow down Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving. But on the flip side for the Celtics, that we haven't really seen Brooklyn play with these guys the whole season. We've seen Kyrie and KD. We've seen Harden and Kyrie. We just haven't seen all of them at once due to the various injuries that they've had, that Durant was out for a while, that Harden was out for a while, and then Kyrie came back. So that's kind of the issue that we don't really know what they can do. And I guess it's good for them before they get to the likes of possibly Milwaukee in the second round, possibly Philadelphia, and who knows who's going to come out of the West, that it's got to work out those kinks. And sorry has happened to the Celtics, but I just think that Boston doesn't have the firepower to keep up with Brooklyn. But again, I wouldn't lay 850 with anybody in any of these series. Look, if Tatum comes out and somehow pulls this thing out of his ass, he is already like vault him into the all-star superstar level conversation. If he can somehow win this series, it's not going to happen. Most Celtic fans with a brain would tell you, you know, hey, it's going to be fun to see Kyrie come back to the garden and get booed. But other than that, it ain't going to happen. So let's move on to the series. I might be most excited for the Trailblazers taking on the Nuggets. Denver has the MVP frontrunner and Jokic, but they're only slight favorites heading into this series at minus 115 to beat Portland. Can Damian Lillard capture the playoff magic he's displayed in the past and take the Blazers to the second round? Or are we riding with Jokic here? You know, Tom, this is such a toss-up, this series. It's going to be a really good series between these two teams. And throw out what happened in the final game of the season. Portland blew out Denver. We saw the Nuggets last year. I mean, we got to put it all in perspective that they were down 3-1 to Utah. Probably should have been knocked out in the first round. Jamal Murray had uh, a couple of great games to carry the Nuggets past the Jazz. And then the Nuggets were down 3-1 to the Clippers. They should have been done in that series as well. But they ended up winning the final three, and then they ran into the buzzsaw of the Lakers. So the point is, is that they beat two teams, Utah, who ended up being the one seed this year, and the Clippers, who are a four, but you know, still the Clippers are going to, you know, be a big threat though. And, and they avoided the Lakers for a little bit. I just think that without Jamal Murray, Jokic can only do so much. And Portland has two superstars. And depending on what Carmelo Anthony can do, if he can be any kind of factor. Moving forward, the Blazers had a bit of a rough patch after they made that trade with Toronto. They traded Gary Trent Jr. They got Norman Powell, who was a really nice player. But for some reason, the Blazers didn't click for a little bit. Then they kind of caught fire. I think Portland will get past Denver in this first round. You have Lillard. He's got the playoff resume. You have C.J. McCollum who can blow up at any time. I just think that Portland is just a little bit better right now than Denver. Let's wrap it up here with the New York Knicks making their triumphant return to the postseason against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. The Knicks are only slight favorites to win this series at minus 115. Madison Square Garden is going to be electric. Can the Knicks win a playoff series? I'm going to say that they're not going to. And now, is this going to be totally convincing? 
Not necessarily. Uh, obviously, it being a four or five doesn't mean that there is a whole lot of uh, you know conviction either way. But at the same time, though, the Knicks beat the Hawks three times this season. We, we can't discount that from the conversation. And each team has a star. Trey Young with Atlanta, Julius Randle with New York. The Hawks may have a few more pieces they could go to than the Knicks as long as the Hawks are healthy. This could be a six or seven game series. I think Atlanta squeezes by New York. And I think the Hawks, they can, I feel like the Hawks could win without Trey Young. I don't know if the Knicks can win without Julius Randle. If something happened where Randle got hurt or he got cold, I don't know if the rest of the team can carry it. I feel like the Hawks have some other guys that could probably carry the load if Trey Young got hurt. So I'd probably say the Hawks would knock off the Knicks in that series, I guess, in honor of your guest, Dominique Wilkins, for this week. So I'm going to take the Hawks there and uh, no John Contact references. Hey, on the way out here, quick picks for tonight's two play-in games. Who you got? I'm going to take the Spurs against Memphis. Uh, I think San Antonio may get past them, but uh, you know Memphis is still a pretty good team. But San Antonio struggled down the stretch. I think that the Spurs find a way to eke it out, and it's hard to go against the Lakers at home. It really is uh, against Golden State. I know what Steph Curry has done, but you still have a better team in the Lakers as opposed to Golden State. You know, with LeBron and with Anthony Davis and all the pieces around him, I just, Golden State just doesn't have enough with Steph Curry. Kevin, thanks as always for joining us. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it. Well, we're working on a lot of stuff. We have the NBA playoffs. We have Major League Baseball. We have the NHL playoffs. We have the uh, the Daily Insider going on every day uh, on our YouTube channel at noon. And we look back at the uh, night in sports the night before from a sports gambling perspective and then the current night. And also the Bet and Collect podcast, concentrating on the NFL right now. So uh, if you're looking for any kind of NFL fix, the week one odds have come out. And if you want to hear about that, you can listen to the latest edition of the Bet and Collect podcast. And remember to check out that Vegas Insider YouTube channel for all of Morton's interviews from Great Dane Nation, as well as amazing content like Kevin was talking about. We're talking NBA, MLB, golf, much more. Go to YouTube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. That's YouTube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Kevin, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the basketball. All right, Tom, you too. Thank you. And now Morton Anderson's game winner. Soon it will be Memorial Day and families will gather to remember and share their love for our servicemen and women. Or will they? How important is Memorial Day to us collectively? I hope it matters to you. My feelings regarding our military and its importance to all of us as Americans is well documented. I love the men and women who serve and who sacrifice for our freedom and quality of life. I've met some unbelievable soldiers. Seth, Ish, and Turbo are three of them. Special Ops guys who operate as elite fighting warriors. They're highly trained, stealth, humble, and above all else, loyal. Through our Family Foundations events, we raise funds for these elite soldiers and their families. We want to, we have to. What you give will grow and what you keep will perish. 
We want to give and to grow the awareness that we have the best, well-trained, and highly effective special ops in the world. Units that can and are inserted around the world in defense of our American values. We see the headlines after the fact. Navy SEALs rescue hostage. What? When? How? Yep. That's our guys. Highly trained, willing, and stout. In and out. Mission accomplished. I invite you to share some time with these soldiers. I've been fortunate to have a father-in-law and a brother-in-law who served in the Navy. They're highly trained, humble, and service-minded in everything they do. Selfless sacrifice is the ultimate gift you can offer life. My heroes are clear to me. It is our soldiers. Whether living or dead, they remind me of the true meaning of powerful, productive living. Time-tested is our military through many foreign wars and multiple theaters of engagement. Let's make sure that they hear and see us on Memorial Day. Wave the flag, stand for the anthem, and salute our true heroes. We'll see you next time. Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com the global leader in sports gaming information and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Dominique Wilkins for joining us this week. And thanks to Kevin Rogers and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to check out the Vegas Insider YouTube channel for all of Morton's interviews from Great Dane Nation, as well as amazing content from our handicappers talking NFL, NBA, and much more, go to youtube.com slash Vegas Insider TV. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today.